So here's a question. Is there a mitzvah of, sim, of, of, of Marvin Basimcha on other Risha when it's not even yet really other? Slosh Chodesh Adar without being yet other Risha. So you can decide that. All right. Anyway, what? Right, it's Lam and Shabbat. Okay, bottom of Pegim. Today's daf is Pegdalid, and we pick up on the very bottom of Pegim on the bed. Misha Nashkotel is Shoshim. Somebody who's bit by a rabid dog. Okay, um, so this is the, the Mishnah moved on from Yom Kippur to the fact that you can eat non-kosher food if necessary um, for a health issue, or certainly a, a risk of life issue. And then there was a discussion of what constitutes a legitimate refuah, um, the practice of feeding the lobe of the liver of a rabid dog to the person who was bit by the rabid dog. So the Chachamim say, so Rabbi Nashav and Harash says you can do it, um, and the Chachamim say that it's a legitimate refuah, Rematim and Harash, excuse me, and the Chachamim do not allow it. Rabies? I believe it is. The yes. number of cases of someone who's actually developed rabies, rabies who has recovered in the entire history of humankind, one. And that was within the past 10 years. Wow. Yes. Really? Everybody who actually gets rabies dies as a result? They came, one woman, they figured out a treatment for within the past 10 years, and she is still alive. Wow. So we'll probably try it in the future. Wow. But it is 100%. So when you're bit by a rabid dog, the point is you can get a treatment before the rabies actually develop? Correct. The vaccine, that's within the past 100 years. So the vaccine prevents what? Prevents the rabies from developing. Rabies is what? It's, it's a it's virus? It's a virus. Uh-huh. And it's a, it's a virus that affects essentially all mammals. Uh-huh. And um, wow. if you act, if the rabies disease develops, and except for that one case, wow. you get a real, yeah, something like that. Yeah, wow, wow. You have to get the shot. You have to get the right away. Wow. Series of shots. Okay. Uh, identifiers were said regarding a rabid dog. Piv patuach, its mouth is open. Veriro no faith, right? Fraught, well, that's it. Veriro no faith. The spittle is um, like um, you know dripping, and the aznav sruchot, and its ears are drooping. Viznavo munach al yarkotav. Its tail is like between its legs on its thighs. Umahalech b'tidei drachim, and it walks at the sides of the roads, not in the middle of the road. Some say it barks and it cannot be heard when it's barking, like it's a silent bark. Now, what is what leads it to a dog to be rabid? So, Rav says women uh, who who do witchcraft um, play you know play with it. Basically, Rashi sounds makes it sound like they use it to experiment or they use it to demonstrate their abilities. So they do their witchcraft on the dog. The Shmuel Amar Ruach Ra'a Shore Alav, the an evil spirit. It's about you know these uh, demons and demonic and evil spirits. So that is seizing the dog. My Benai, what difference does it make? What you think is the is the uh, source of it? Ika Benayu, the difference is top of Alam Dalif, If you want to try to kill the dog, should you try to kill it at a distance or not? Um, so if you think it's a Ruach Ra, then you have to keep your distance, even getting close, even if it doesn't bite you, the Ruach Ra might get to you. But if it's about this uh, witchcraft, interestingly, maybe witchcraft is also contagious, you know, the effects of the spells, but apparently not. Apparently if it's witchcraft, there's no problem about drawing close, but if it's an evil spirit, there is. So the question would be whether you would have to try to kill it by throwing something by a projectile, would that be the way to kill it, rather than getting too close? I will mention, by the way, about that, that it's worth noting, because we just recently read Parshas Yisro, and a common read of a pasuk is based on Rashi, which is not the shot read of the pasuk, where it says, if somebody gets to, goes to Harsinai, what does the Torah say? So Rashi says, you do skila, or Yeroh Yireh, Rashi says, like, you cast over a cliff, because that's, according to Halacha, you know, uh, the, uh, you know, well, first of all, it's also the whole, uh, you know, Sirva Zazel image, but anyway, that's the way Rashi understands it, that it's a, uh, yeah, Roy Ray means cast person off the cliff. But the shot is, if somebody gets close to Harsinai, what are you supposed to do? You're not allowed to get close to Harsinai to stop the guy. So how do you stop him? So you either throw stones at him or you shoot arrows at him. So that's the way you stop him without you yourself getting close. 
So same, uh, anyway, I was just reminded of that, because here the only way you to stop the dog is through projectiles. You can't actually draw across the entire ancient world is more from your technology as projectiles. Jews had to wait for a situation like getting close to Nansana. How could we possibly solve this problem? <laughs> <laughs> Not an event, but that's what you have to do. No. Okay. Tiny Gavasi Dishmur, we taught like Shmuel. Tisha so ain't so el Nizrak. When you have to kill the, a rabid dog, you only kill it from a, like from a distance. That's an interesting question, possibly, though we're not discussing it. From a distance by throwing projectiles. Um, might depend. Like, Sugis and Shabbos, about also when Mazikin are running after you, if they're not actually running after you, you know, do you have to be choshesh that they will attack you or not? So, it might be under some circumstances you could do it even on Yom Kippur. Anyway, you do it by throwing a projectile, not by getting too close, because of the way the Gemara is explaining this concern of witchcraft, of, excuse me, of the, of the, of the, of the evil spirit. Okay, the chayef beinistakin. If you rub up against this dog, you are endangered. The nachislay. If the dog, um, if the dog bites you, mayis, you'll die. The chayef beinistakin. If you rub against it, you're endangered. Maitakante. What should you do if that happens? How do you protect yourself from the from uh, you know from the ensuing danger? So, if you actually did rub up against it, nishlach Cast off your clothes. Vinirat and run. Rav Huna braid Rav Yoshua chafte. Rav Huna, the son of Rav Yoshua, rubbed up against a rabid dog. Excuse me, chafte chad minayu b'shuka. One a rabid dog. One of them. One of the rabid dogs rubbed up against him in the marketplace. Shachinu hulemana. He cast off his clothes. The right, and he ran. Amar, he said, Kayamti batzmi. I fulfill with myself. Hachachma techayet, but techayet ba'aleha. Wisdom will keep its owners alive. I knew what to do, and therefore I was saved. We had the puzzle before about eating a, uh, you know, the uh, sweet uh, figs. If the person was uh, seized by boomers, he knew where to go to get the sweet figs. Here, you know what to do if a rabid dog rubs up against you. So I guess they figured that the contagion would adhere to the clothes because he's rubbing up against your clothes. So get, strip your clothes and get away from it, and that'll and that'll save you. The nochi slay mayas. If it bites you, you'll die. My takante. What is the what's the fix? What's the, how do you how do you how do you, what do you do if if it actually happens? So Amar Abaye, so Abaye says, Nesi Mishcha de Apa de Dichwa, get the leather of a male um, uh, Apa, um, what is an Apa again? Uh, not a leopard, a, a hyena, of a male hyena, um, and write on this leather, Anaplanya Bar Planisa, I, so and so, the son of, um, you know, mother, your mother's name, on the leather of a of a male hyena, I am writing. You know, I am writing on. You know, I, I'm writing on you on the leather. You write this on the leather of this male hyena. I am. I so and so. I'm writing on the leather of a male hyena. And here's what. And then you continue to write the following. Kanti kanti kliros. Okay, so which is obviously some type of incantation. The amila and some say kandi kandi kloros. Ya ya Hashem Tzvaka, God, God, God of hosts, Amen, Amen, Sela. Okay, Vinishalchinu Lamane, and then cast off your clothes after you wrote this on the hyena's leather. Cast off your clothes, Vilikberinu, and bury it, Bekivre, in a cemetery. Um, some have the gears on a cemetery on the crossroads. Atresa Yarchishata, and for 12 months. Vinafkinu, then at the end of 12 months, take out your, dig up your clothes. Vinaklinu betanura, burn them in an oven. Vinavdirinu lekitme aparshas drachim, and scatter the ashes on a crossroads. Vahanach trace yarchi, in those interim 12 months, what are you doing to protect yourself? Because against the, I guess, making it into ashes and scattering it is the end of the refua. Burn it. Okay, those, apparently that finishes the refuah, so during those 12 months you're still endangered, so what do you do during those 12 months? When you drink water, only drink it through a copper pipe, a copper tube. Lest, if you drink it in some other vessel, you will see the uh, image of the shade of the... Uh, uh, what did it say? They say spirit, demon, demon, the um, listakin, and you'll be endangered. So obviously, this had to do. I mean, this ties in. I didn't. I didn't double check against it, but there are those famous agadotas at the beginning of brachos that deals with seeing the mazikin and seeing, seeing the shadim, and also deals with various types of metal tubes. So somehow the metal tubing will protect the shade from getting into the water and through the water getting into you. So this presumably is following Shmuel's idea that this is based on Ruach Ra. One minute. Um, 
okay. Kihad de Abba Bar Martha, like Abba Bar Martha, Abba Bar Minomi, Abdullah Ime Gufsa de Dava. His mother made for him a golden tube in which to drink his liquid. I don't know why, because when he was, was it when he was bit by a rabid dog, or is it just in general to protect him from shading? Who knows? Anyway, this is the, this is the Gemara, the Gemara imagines is the way of dealing with the problem. Does it, is everybody who bit by a rabid dog contract rabies? No. No. It's possible to not catch the virus. Right. And in fact, there have now been seven people who survived in the last few years. Of, being, of actually having rabies. Having rabies. Wow. Yeah, but how can you be alive 12 months later? Well, that's what Charlie said. Well, you, just because yeah. you're bit by a rabid dog doesn't mean you contract rabies. Then, not everybody yeah. Not everybody who has HIV actually gets AIDS. Right. You know, so right. you don't, just because you have the virus the doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. All right. I mean, you can't, you can't, no one knew about viruses until just a couple of years ago. No kidding. All right. Anyway, moving on. So that's the whole identifying of the issue of the rabbit dog. But again, the important point for us, the halacha, is that if halacha just says that if it's a pikuach nefesh, you can do what you need to do to violate Shabbos, violate Yom Kippur, violate Kashrus. What types of refuot? Who gets to determine what is considered a, a legitimate refuah? You know, and to what degree does halacha have to get you know get to have a say in it? Obviously, halacha does have a say. You know, it's debated. It seems like the debate is not that Ramasya ben Harash is saying, look, whatever people think works, we have to just you know accept. It seems like he's just has a different assessment whether or not this is potentially effective or not. It is interesting because we before learned yesterday that in terms of the assessment of the chola, not only about how they're feeling but what they need, the chola says I need to eat, and the doctors say you don't. That the chola trumps. So here, though, if a chola says, I need to do this refua, and we actually say, yeah, that refua is just baba maises and nawishkeit, you know, that there is some possibility that we could disallow it, you know, because we, we object, you know, we'll say objectively it doesn't, you know, it's, it's not, a, a, you know, an effective or a meaningful refua. So it is an interesting question, as I said, and particularly nowadays, holistic medicine and other types of things, somebody says, I, I think I need to do this, you know, what, you know, what's the rabbi's role in saying, well, I, you know, I, I don't think that that's a good refuah or not. Yes? So, I mean, aside from the whole demonology, I mean, they knew that there were things that they couldn't see that somehow were affecting the health. Right. So, do we read these in a way, the, the perspective of, let's say, Rabbi Splitkin, it says, listen, the Chachabi participated in what they considered to be the current right. medical knowledge. Right. And if our medical knowledge supersedes it, you're not even, how about Yeah, I mean, the Rambam, right, the Rambam basically dealing with, in general, these types of issues. Already the Gaonim say, you know, we're not, we're, we're not constrained by or we don't follow the refuas in the Gemara. You know, what, now, they don't exactly give the logic, why not? But they basically say, yeah, that's, you know, we don't go by that. So there's two basic ways of explaining why we don't go by that. The rabbi says, I think, what we would all say, which is, the rabbis, you know, were not scientists. They knew the science of their time. So you cannot expect to get from them, whether it's about questions about medical science or about astronomy or about anything else, they were limited by the science of their time. And if we know better now, then that science doesn't dictate for us. End of story. That's simple. Um, The firmer way of saying it, now, that's one thing when the Gemara is giving you medical advice. It's another thing when the Gemara uses science to be the basis of halacha. And then if we say they got the science wrong and we know better, how does that impact halacha? That's like a separate conversation. But certainly if all they're doing is giving you medical advice to say, yeah, we can dismiss it because we can say they were limited by that their medical knowledge, that's what Rambam says. The firmer approach is to say the answer that the Onim come up with, which is the what I would call the strategy of dealing with the fact that our reality is not, you know, what we experience, right, what we experience what the Gemara says, that, you know, our sort of empirical, you know, evidence and our experience goes against what the Gemara says, is rather than saying the Gemara got it wrong, is to say that our reality has shifted, Mishkanu Hateva. And that way, you're allowed, you, rather than pretending like, oh yes, this all works, you, you can accept the fact that it doesn't work, but you don't have to say the rabbis got anything wrong. You can just say that the world changed, nature changed, reality changed. And that's like the more, the firmer strategy. It allows you to deal with the fact that it's not the same without having to concede that the rabbis, you know, got it wrong. Yes. How is following Rambam less from than following someone else? 
it's no, no. It's not less from in the sense that Rambam in general. It's less from the general approach. I don't necessarily by from mean right, <laughs> or by, I mean from in the sort of sociological fromy sense. It's because it because it because it acknowledges that Chazal got something wrong, and for some people that's a very dangerous uh, idea. So it's a safer, safer idea to say they didn't get anything wrong. Yes. The other thing, and I, I haven't seen any to look at this. Scientists get things wrong all the time today in our times, but it isn't necessarily that they were doing anything wrong. They were using the information they had. I understand, but for uh, for a lot of people to suggest that the what the rabbis are on the madrig of the scientists. I mean, the rabbis are, you know, the rabbis. So how could they get anything wrong? So for some people, suggesting, no matter, you know, putting them within sort of normal human context and limiting them to the knowledge of their time and allowing for error is a very dangerous idea because then it starts raising questions about, well, how do we trust anything they say? So that's why, for some people, it's safer to say they had everything right and, and the world around them changed. Okay? Anyway, it's a larger conversation. Let's go back to the Gemara. Va'od Omer Rabmachia. So it also says Rabmachia. This is about the second point, not about the rabbit dog, but about the issue about somebody with a throat, uh, a sore throat, or some problem in the throat, he can drink a medicine, a strep throat, on Shabbos, which would seem to be, should be relatively undebated, and we'll take a look at the Gemara, the Gemara is going to move around to that, and then it got to the very general statement that anything that is pikuach nefesh overrides Shabbat. So, Rabbi Yochanan, so we're going to start by telling some stories about people with sore throats. Rabbi Yochanan has pizna. Rabbi Yochanan had scurvy. What exactly is scurvy? That's a C deficiency. What is it? How does it manifest itself? Is it like scabs and whatever? You lose your teeth. Okay. Okay. All right. Doesn't start here with the throat issues. We'll see the throat issues coming up. Rabbi Yochanan has pizna. He had scurvy. He went to, to a matron, which is a non-Jewish woman, a particular, like, you know, status, a particular, like, important woman, um, who was, uh, apparently knew these, uh, you know, was a herbalist or was, uh, was a doctor of sorts. And Avdaleh Nilsa, and she made for him some type of a potion, some type of a, uh, you know, of, of, of a medicine. Um, so she made it for him on Thursday and on Friday and he, you know, he took it and it was hopefully helping him get better um, so he said to her what am I going to do on Shabbos? I can't come to you he's asking the doctor but he's asking every day I come to you you provide this with, to me what, can I, what am I going to do on Shabbos? I'm not going to be able to travel to you what am I, what, 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 what no, 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 no he wasn't saying can I take it what you have been providing me the medicine. I can't come on Shabbos. What should I do? Um, so Amalei, so she said to him, um, it, um, I guess it's true that if he had refused to provide it for him and he had to go there to get it, and if it was Pekoch Navis, he would have. But nevertheless, you know, it's like, can you call the prescription into the uh, pharmacist, you know? So what should I do? I, if I, I don't want to be, I don't want to have to come here on Shabbos. So Amalei, so she said to him, no, don't worry, you won't need to take the medicine. You already took it two days. But if I, he says, but look, let's say I start getting the symptoms again, and I do need to do it. Still, that's not an answer. What should I do? So Amalei, so she said to him, she didn't want to give away any trade secrets. So she said to him, you have to take an oath to me that if I tell you how to make this medicine, you won't tell anybody else. So, he took an oath and said, to the God of Israel, I will not reveal this. And then, so she told him, she told him it was Shabbos. So what did he do? Instead of giving the regular drasha on the parsha, nafik darsha papirka, he used the opportunity where everybody was in shul to tell the whole community, here's what you have to do. If you get scurvy, it was a pikuach nefesh issue or whatever it was. He wanted that everybody should know the medicine. Say, you know, good for their health. So, of course, so, so the Gemara says, how could he do that? The high shtabala, didn't he take an oath? He'd be violating his oath? So the Gemara says, no, here's what he meant. He meant, He said, to the God of Israel, I won't reveal it. So he's saying, I won't reveal it to the God of Israel. I'll reveal it to the people of Israel. So he obviously, you know, said it in a way that allowed him an out. So the Gemara says, Okay, but technically he didn't violate his oath, but he's making it look like it's a desecration of God's name. He's making it look like to the non-Jews that he basically violated an oath taken in the name of God. People will think 
A, the A that he's that that, that he tricked them, that, that that he tricked her, and B that he doesn't respect God, that he's willing to violate an oath to God. This, by the way, I should say, you know, normally Hashem is used in a sort of general sense, anything that brings disrepute to God's name. But here, there's a sense of Chilul Hashem because God's name, right, was taken in an oath, and there's a violation of that oath. So anyway, how about that? That that's how it appears. So the Gemara says. No, he, after she told him, he said, thank you very much. By the way, you should realize, well, here's what my oath actually meant. So, so there wasn't the Chil Hashem that she didn't think he violated the oath. She still thought he was a sneaky uh, Jew, that he managed to deceive her and get her to reveal it, but at least she didn't think he actually violated the oath. So I don't know how that's not a Chil Hashem. It's a different type of a Chil Hashem. Um, but so that's a fascinating and slightly disturbing story, but talks about, you know, how important they felt the health issues were, that it was worth, uh, it was worth whatever the cost was here in order to protect the people and share this with the people. Um, it let, goes like those old questions that they ask, you know, isn't that, that famous thing they do when they sort of are giving, like, uh, tests to people and trying to sort of figure, you know, uh, see, like, how they, like, how they think, like, their, their, their ethical statement, their ethical systems, they give the, you know, the classic question is, you know, you have you know, you're, you have a child and he's deathly sick and he's dying, but the, you know, medicine costs like a thousand dollars and you don't have any money and, you know, the farm, you know, and it's, the pharmacist has, has it and he won't sell it to you, what do you do? Right? So, you know, do you go ahead and you, like, basically try to, do you steal it? Do you accept the consequences? Do you, whatever. Anyway, so based on how people answer the question shows, the, you know, their, their way of sort of, of, of ethical thinking, of moral thinking. Anyway, so it's sort of like this. How much, how far are you willing to go to violate certain, you know, other laws and Beinadam Lechavero and how people's impression of you and so on for the sake of protecting people? Of course, that scenario is a little different. There, there's like an immediate Pikuach Nefesh. Here it's like nobody in the community is sick, and then when they are sick, presumably they could go to this woman, you know, but still this idea of like spreading, you know, for the sake of spreading, maybe the better example would be, what's his name, would be Snowden, right? Mm-hmm. Secret knowledge, but what does it mean to share right. secret knowledge, classified knowledge, that maybe you don't have a right to share, but you think is in the better in, best interests of, of, you know, of the larger society. What? They, they wrote Snowden down there in the footnote. <laughs> <laughs> John records, according to some Amarayim, she committed suicide because she was distressed that her exclusive remedy was now freely available to the public. But some Amarayim assert that she converted to Judaism ah. because she was so impressed that Rabbi Yochai publicized the cure without making any money from it. Oh, <laughs> they didn't make money from it. So again, like Snowden, <laughs> right, like, let's do it for the better of the uh, community, not to make a profit. Okay. All right. Moving on. All right, so the Gemara says, now, my of delay, now, look, if Rabbi Yochanan went to all that effort to take this uh, oath and then reveal it, let's figure out what, it, what, this, what the, uh, what the uh, medicine was. So what did she do for him? So Ravami, here is the recipe. Um, uh, uh, like a, a yeast water, water that runs off from the making of dough, shemen zayis, olive oil, umelach, and salt. Somehow you mix it together. Revyever, it doesn't sound like it's going to help for a vitamin C deficiency. What? No leafy green vegetables. Okay, yeah. So, okay. Revyever, um, Amar, or gufe, shemen zayis, no, not the water from the dough, but the actual dough. The oil of, of the fat of the wing of a, of, of a, of, of a goose, of a, of a goose wing. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know how any of this is going to solve a vitamin C deficiency. You know what? I tried all those things and it didn't do me any good. It did not, I did not get healed. Until a certain Arab said to me, Take the pits of olives. That are, that are not yet a third ripe. The Kalinu Benura burned the olive pits in a fire. Um, um, on a new shovel. The Adbik Bikaki Dari. And then take the paste that's made from it and put it on your gums. Um, the, on the gums of your teeth. So, um, um I did that. The Itzai. And I got better. Okay. Now, where do you get scurvy from? from eating overly hot wheat and bread, and from leftover fish hash. Um, so that's where you get scurvy. How can we know this is scurvy? It's I don't... It's like scurvy. I have no idea. I only know it's scurvy because that's what Zanfino said. It's a piece of me. It's reasonable. 
Well, the bleeding of gums. Yeah. yeah. Is that what one of the sim- symptoms yeah. is, the, is the bleeding of gums? Yeah, that's the beginning. That's why it's a sore throat. Oh. Well, we haven't got up to the throat yet. Hold on. So the Gemara says like this. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. Umay simane. And now it's going to say, what are the symptoms? What are the signs of it? Kadrami midi bekake. When you put something in your teeth, the asadama, and you bleed. So it's basically you have uh, bleeding gums. Uh, okay. Mibay dare. And, and blood comes out of your gums. When Rabbi Yochanan had uh, this uh, scurvy, which is what we said started the story with Rabbi Yochanan and scurvy, so here we have the violation of Shabbos. He went there and he did this, presumably, well, maybe he did what the Matronisa said to him, uh, who knows which of these health things he now did, but whichever one he did, he did it on Shabbos, even if it involved a violation of Shabbos, and it actually healed him. Okay, uh, yeah. Um, okay. Rabbi Yochanan, hey, Now, how did Rabbi Yochanan do this? Um, I'm, uh, wait, did I skip a line? No, Shani Tapidna, meaning the Gemara is assuming that, like, why, why are we assuming it's life-threatening? Now, presumably, the reason, why shouldn't we assume it's life-threatening? Well, one reason maybe is because the Gemara, we, we, this is getting us back to the beginning of the Mishnah, where Rabbi Maki ben Harash says that if you've got some type of a throat problem, you can take a medicine. So the Gemara is assuming maybe the Chachamim disagree. Maybe they felt the things that were in the mouth and in the throat weren't life-threatening. So how did Rabbi Yochanan do this? So Amar of Nachba Yitzchak, Shani Sapid, the whole Matzah Bepeh, the Gomer Bivnei Meayim. No, things that scurvy begins in the in the mouth, and but then it goes down the throat and it gets into the inner intestines, so it is life threatening, and therefore you can do things even on Shabbos. Only Reb Chiyabar Abel Reb Yochanan, Reb Chiyabar Basetz Reb Yochanan, Kiman Kreb Matzah Ben Charash. So this is going, this idea that mouth and throat issues are life-threatening, is going like Ramatim and Harash, the Amar Choshish Pepiv Matilum Lo Samba Shabbat, that somebody who has some throat ill problem can be, make a medicine on Shabbat. So isn't that debated? So why are we assuming that Rabbi Yochanan, that, 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 how could Rabbi Yochanan be going like that? So Amalek, no, Shani Omer, Bezuv Lo Bacheres. I say no, that the rabbis only argue with Ramat ben Harash in, one, in this one and not in the other. Ramat ben Harash said two things. He mentioned about the rabid dog and the liver, and he mentioned the throat. So the rabbis only argue on him with the rabid dog. They actually agree to his point that if you've got a sore throat, you can make a medicine and take it on Shabbat. And by the way, in general, when we know that's also very interesting, which I'm not going to get into. I mean, obviously we're touching on it, but how halacha, you know, how do you, again, the same question we sort of dealt with yesterday, what type of, of, of illness or disease or, or, or you know, cert, uh, a complication do we identify as a potential pikuach nefesh? Um, so, you know, to some degree it's ask the doctors, but to some degree also, you know, the Gemara gives parameters. Um, I mean, mostly it's ask the doctors, but the Gemara also gives parameters. And one example, and one parameter the Gemara basically has is anything that's basically, you know, from the gums in. That anything in the mouth and starting the gums in is seen as potentially life-threatening because maybe you know that it can then get into your inner system or anyway. So that's uh, an important principle in pikuach nefesh. Yes. Right. So that's an interesting question. Yeah, exactly. Meaning why? Is, right. Right. So there is that whole issue about you know I I think it's true that basically. Um, you know, w- without making, I mean, you know, too much of a halachic statement here, but basically, I, I can't speak for the Haredi community, maybe, th- I-, I think this is true for them as well, but I think basically, mostly it goes by the assessment of doctors, not by what some formal thing in the, in, in the Gemara, but in some gray areas where, you know, you have these anxieties and this and that, but you really wonder, is it really Pequot Nefesh or not? But the Gemara puts it in the Pequot Nefesh category. You know, we allow that to sort of tip the scales. Like one example which we're going to see is the Gemara is basically going to say in the Amud Bet that if somebody is locked in a room, you can uh, violate Shabbos to break down the door because you're just afraid that they're going to be like scared to death. You know, now, really, like, I mean, unless, you know, what, what, how is that a real pikuach nefesh? I mean, oh, yeah, so, nevertheless, though, you know, you can imagine, you've got a kid locked in a room on Shabbos, and they really are getting very, very scared, and they're being hysterical or whatever, so, you know, how much, that you say, well, look, at the bottom, end of the day, the Gemara calls it pikuach nefesh, you know? So, it's like those types of issues, I think, that the basic approach is, you know, fundamentally, you sort of say, based on our medical knowledge, but, you know, it's, it's important to know what those Gemara categories are sometimes, if you need to rely on them. All yeah. these remedies, however we might evaluate them, are dealing with actual preparation. 
Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. I I I've read, I've seen, I know opinions. If someone has a headache, it won't on Shabbat. They will not take a readily prepared aspirin. Okay. So that issue, I'll just say one word about that. Um, the Gemara says you don't do refuah on Shabbos. Um, and the Gemara frames it, the Bavli frames it, probably has a different reason historically, but the Bavli frames it as a concern that you'll come to grind medicine. Um, now, the question is, how can you say you don't do a fool if we have all these Gemaras that basically say that you, even you do for it? So basically what develops is a taxonomy or a hierarchy of, of different types of illnesses. Pikuach nefesh, you violate Shabbos Doraita, even a Doraita violation. If it's a case which is called chola uh, kol gufo, um, which means your your whole body feels ill, you have to lie down, or it's something that is such like this splitting headache, or something so bad that in in theory you would be prepared to lie down, even if it's on a local part of your body, but you'd want to just go lie down. So then we say that that um, you can do not the orisis for, but the rabbanans. Question: What type of the rabbanans? I mean, you're a legoy, definitely. Can you directly do a Durabanan? But anyway, a range of Durabanans is allowed for Holocogufo. The, the smallest category is called, yeah, including taking medicines, of course. The category that we apply this issue to about just where it's the opposite, not that we allow things, but we disallow things, is the category called Michush Alma, where it's not like you've got, you know, or, you know, it's like it's localized, it's just an irritation, it's not like pervasive, and that's where we say this Isidurabanan of taking a medicine applies. That being said, you know, a number of posts can say, I mean, they're bothered by two things. Number one is, nowadays, the concern that you'll grind your own medicine is pretty much non-existent, and although normally that doesn't mean that the Durabanan goes away just because the reasons fall, fall away, but number two... It like completely goes against the experience of Shabbat and completely goes against everything else that's being articulated here, which is not just about life, but if you apply it to Cholokogufo, it's just about alleviating distress and suffering and so on. also allows latitude, you, you know, and here we're making it more difficult. So as a result of which, some poskim interpret the category of of Nichush Pa'alma extremely, extremely narrowly and are pretty ready to include, you know, a, a large, most illnesses in the Cholokol Gufo type of a category. Um, so that is an approach of many persons. Um, yeah, who knows, something like that. But then, of course, I'll just end by this thing. Rav Salvechik was known to have said, I can't attest to this directly, that somebody asked him about, like, medicine on Shabbos. He says, look, he says, if you really need it, then... Your cholokogufo, then it's mutter. If you don't really need it, then it's not really medicine. So it's also mutter. <laughs> All right. Anyway, moving on. So uh, the Gemara says like this. Um, um, okay. So Shaniyomer bezo v'lo bacharis. In this one, either in this one, the only the rabid dog is where they argue, or Rashi says the other way. In this one, the case by the throat problem, the rabbis agree to him. Either way, saying the rabbit dog is where they debate, by the throat, everybody agrees. So the Gemara says, Let me come try to bring a proof to this. Somebody who is, take, is seized by jaundice, you can feed him donkey meat. He's bit by a rabid dog. You feed him from the lobe of the liver of the dog. And if somebody has a throat a, a problem, you give him a medicine on Shabbat. That's what Rav Ben Charash says. So the two we had in the Mishnah plus this one about the jaundice. The Those do not have refuah. Now those would seem to mean all those three. But the Gemara interestingly okay, assumes that we means what you are saying. The 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 the, uh, the the treatments that you are saying are not genuine treatments, and therefore you cannot do it. Not that the illnesses aren't illnesses, but the treatments are not legitimate treatments. Maybe you could do something else if it could really work. Those things are not treatments. So the Gemara says the uh, elu. So it assumes the word the means not all of those three, but some of those three. And I have no idea why it's reading that. Limute mai. So which ones are they identifying is not a, is not a really therapeutic, and which ones would they be okay with? My love, limute some. Maybe it means what they're saying is is that this uh, remedy for the uh, for jaundice and the rabid dog are not real remedies, but the but the but the medicine for the sore throat would be. So doesn't, isn't that what they mean? So they agree with the sore throat. So the Gemara says, No, we're going to have, because there's another thing we see that gets discussed, which is whether you can do let blood for sarunchi, which is, uh, I forget how they translate sarunchi there. I looked it up, I forgot. 
food, remedying blood to heal Quincy. Quincy? Didn't, didn't that used to be a cop show, Quincy Adams? Or <laughs> Quincy? Okay. Anyway, I don't know. Jazz just said something else. All right. Anyway, Hachinami Mistava. That makes sense. That maybe it's the bloodletting that they are okay with. The time you Harash. So now it's tradition from Reb Ben Harash. You let blood for this Sarunchi problem. For the rabid dog, you give the love of the liver. And somebody's got a sore throat, you do some medicine into, you, you drink some medicine. Those, assuming that those means some of those, don't have, are, are not real remedies. So which ones are our remedies and which ones are not? My love, Atarti Basraisa. He's saying that the last two, the issue about the sore throat and the rabid dog, are not real remedies. But the first one, the bloodletting for this Sarunchi, is, uh, is a remedy. So you see that it's Sarunchi that they concede to, not the sore throat. Someone says, no, no, maybe the opposite. Atarti Duresha, Chamaisa. Maybe the first two are not real remedies, the uh, bloodletting and the rabid dog. We need to save them. The last one is a remedy, the case about the sore throat. Okay, so basically what we're trying to say is, is that the rabbis agree with the sore throat that you can do various types of remedies. Um, and they're debated by these other remedies. Tashma, come in here, top of Kedam Lebet. So here we have another bright dove. The pregnant woman that's got a smell, you feed her until she, until she comes down. The rabbit dog, you feed the lobe with a liver. And a sore throat, you give some medicine into the, some, you drink some medicine on Shabbat. So that's the tradition of Ramat ben Harash. And the sages say, only this and not others. So, which one are they conceding to? So anyway, by the way, because of this Braitha, where they concede, it shows you, that's, what start, that's why the Gemara initially, because as you know, Michael said, why are we assuming they concede about anything? It sounds like they're arguing about all of it. All of it. But in this Braitha, they say, okay, with that, I'll concede to you. So that's what led us to our whole assumption before in trying to identify which is the one case that the Chachamim concede to. So, Zu Ahai, which is the one they concede to? Ilema Ubra, if it's a pregnant woman, Pita. Ubra, Mikalaman Dama Delo. Pregnant woman, everybody agrees that the case of the pregnant woman needs to be fed. So they wouldn't have to say, with this I concede to you. Although it's pretty funny, why not? He said it, so they want to point out that they agree to that one. Anyway, Elalava Sam, it must be if they're conceding to one, and they don't have to concede to the pregnant woman, and we know they disagree about the rap dog, so the only third one he mentioned was the me- throat medicine. So clearly they're saying they concede, it shows they're conceding about the throat medicine. Shmami no, that's a good point, the sages concede to that. Ravashi Amar Masnisi Namidika, it's also implicit in our Mishnah, because our Mishnah says, that Ramatman Haras says you feed the, uh, lo- the rages say you don't feed the lobe of the liver, liver. Ramatman Haras says you do feed the lobe of the liver of the rabid dog. And then the mission goes on to say, After the liver discussion and the rabid dog, it says, oh, by the way, Ramatman Haras also says you can take medicine if we're a sore throat on Shabbat. The low plea Rabban on the lay. And there was, and that was not followed by a dissenting view of the rabbis. Vim Isa, the Pligi Rabbanon Alein, if the rabbis argued on both the cases, the rabbi dog and the throat, the Ravina released Ninu, put them together. Say, Ramazu ben Harash says, here's what you do for a rabbi dog, and here's what you do for a sore throat. And the rabbis say, you can't do it. But no, if we framed it as a debate about the rabbi dog, and then we mentioned his position about the throat. So, so why not just put them all together and have the rabbis argue at the end on everything? So, Shmamina, since they didn't do it, since the argument was only at the rabbi dog stage, and then afterwards it was followed by the statement about the throat, and nobody disagreed, it sounds like the throat is a point that everyone concedes to. Which, by the way, is nice in addition to the just point about the throat, because the Master Ben Kharash, when he talks about the throat, says, you have, if somebody has a sore throat, you have them drink this medicine, and then he says, because it's a pikoch nefesh, and suffix nefashot, and any suffix nefashot is dochet ha-shabbat. So this way, that general line, that principle, right, which is said so nice and clear, 
clearly in that statement is now not just his opinion, but now is actually a consensus opinion. I mean, not like we ever doubted the principle, but it was a little ironic that that whole basic statement of principle was said by Ramatu ben Haras and wasn't stated in a very general way. So now we're actually saying that that second part of Ramatu ben Haras's statement is a consensus opinion. So this is regarded as the Talmudic source for the principle? Well, and our, yeah, I mean, all of our Mishnayot, but that line is the very clear line. But it comes up, I mean, it's going to be with the building falling down, it's right, all of these right, right. Okay. So, because it is a risk to life, and this, this is then the principle in the Mishnah, and any risk of life overrides Shabbat. So, Ramali to the main Marvakos, something in the Fashot to Chet Shabbat. Why do you have to say, cause the risk of life, and every risk of life overrides Shabbat? I mean, it's, it's what you've been saying all along. Do this, do this, do that. Why do you say it again that way? So, I'm Rabbi Yomarab to tell you the following. Even if it's not only about this Shabbat, but even about another Shabbat. Meaning what? What's the case? He goes, they basically said, this guy is going to need to do a certain uh, medicine, you know, a certain type of a thing for eight days straight. He has to take his penicillin for eight days straight. And the first day is Shabbat. So, you know what, why not start the whole process on Sunday, Saturday night? Because anyway, that way it'll only be one week, one violation of Shabbat, not two, because it's going to go eight days, it'll include next Shabbat. So let's try to minimize it, and maybe again, if it's going to take eight days, maybe there's not a sense of, like, urgency, like if you don't do it now, he's going to die. So there's not an urgency, and you can maybe say, we'll start tomorrow. Nevertheless, Kamash Milan, that no, Right now, he is, he does have a life-threatening issue, and you start it as soon as possible. You don't start making cheshbonos of, well, he's not going to die right away, and, you know, big deal, we'll wait a few hours. No. If he's in a Bikuach never situation, you deal what needs to be done. Immediately, you don't start making cheshbonos to, you know, push things off till after Shabbat. Okay. Tanya Namihachi, so we talked similarly. Uh, you can heat up hot water for a sick person on Shabbat whether to drink the hot water whether to um, basically like bathe him in the hot water to give him strength by the bath and not only if it's like it's urgent like you have to do it now or he's going to die even if it's something that basically is going to stretch on till next Shabbat and it's an ongoing type of a thing you, don't, you know you don't push it off you do what, you know, you do what needs to be done now even if it's not even if it's not like he's about so to die bath, right now. So this bath, uh, bath is considered seeing a bath, right? Or yeah. So that's considered like as if it's really like Help his words. Well, look. Worse, right? Well, bad. what's not? Yeah. What's so? What's not being said, black and white here, is a principle of osin kol sarche chola b'shabbat, which means you don't determine by every little thing that you're about to do. If I don't do this, will his life be at risk? Basically, if once a person is in a status of pikuach nefesh, you take care of all of his health needs. Okay? Obviously, the larger cheshpan is, is that if you don't take care of some of the health needs, it obviously <coughs> increases the level of risk, but you don't have to make that cheshpan. Wait, 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 wait a minute. You mean to tell me if he's not going to bathe, he's actually going to be in a greater risk situation? You don't say that. You say, this guy is sakaras nefesh, pikuach nefesh, he has a life-threatening illness, you do what you do anything related to taking care of his health needs. That's a very important principle. So there is a little bit of that question, but again, you know, part of it does have to do. I mean, there's a discussion about this. Part of it does have to do with the cheshbon that any you know that any little thing related to just to, you know to his health factors into to some possible you know question of nefesh. That's one way of thinking about it, or it could be a hutra type of an idea, you know. And it is a question of exactly how you define the pa- pa- the parameters of what does it mean everything he needs, you know, so, um, but, but anyway, but that's part of the point, and it's important to raise it here, you're right, about what does that mean, the bath, what does it mean, hot water, so it doesn't have to mean like, oh my God, if you don't do this, he's going to die, he's sick, he's because now, if you do what he needs, needs to be done, so, to, to, for the sake of his health, the low Shabbat they don't mean nantim lo shemayavri. You don't say, uh, well, you know, let's see. Maybe if we wait, maybe he'll recover. Maybe he won't need us to heat up the hot water. Ella mechamim lo miyad. Right now, there's a concern. You take care of it now. You don't try to do any waiting games and any cheshbonos. Any doubt of life overrides Shabbat. Not only this Shabbos, it's a little bit repetitive here, even the next Shabbos. 
Ve'ein osim dvarim halalu, and you don't do these things, lo yedei nachrim v'lo yedei kutim, or really probably correct yourself as ketanim, you don't say, hey, let's do it in a way that there won't have to be a chilu Shabbos. Let's get a non-Jew to do it. Let's get a minor to do it. Okay, no, you don't try to hand it off to other people. Ela ayudei gedolei Yisrael, but by the gedolim. No, but that means a Jewish adult. Doesn't necessarily mean it could also be gedolim, but it basically means don't try to get minors, don't try to get non-Jews. You, Jewish adults, you do it, and you don't try to minimize. Now, why not? Why not say, hey, let's try to do it? I mean, if it doesn't easily be done by the non-Jew, if I get the non-Jew to drive the guy to the hospital, why should I drive the guy to the hospital? So take a look at Tosos, El Bigdoli Yisrael. Tosos says, let's say it's just as easy to do it with a non-Jew. Mitzvah Yisrael. Because you, you know, maybe we assume that if you do it by an adult, and adults do what is the importance of pikuach nefesh, you are going to apply these, you know, you don't trust something so important to somebody else. You know, so if, if, because if you understand the full importance of it, right, you don't want to trust anybody else. That's a lot of person. So, all right, you know what? They're not going to appreciate the urgency. We, the whole point is we appreciate the urgency because we're being ready to be Michal Shabbat for Pikuach Nefesh. So we've completely eternalized that. So Tosus just makes it sound like, yeah, this guy, like I've been sort of saying right now, won't really internalize fully the urgency of Pikuach Nefesh. If you had a guy that totally would, you had a taxi driver that, you know, whatever, that you know, I'll give you, I'll give you an extra fifty if you get there within the next twenty minutes or whatever. So it wouldn't be a problem. But there's another explanation about why, even if this one guy will do just as good of a job, you should not be looking for the, giving it to a non-Jew or a minor. Which is why, what? Well, you're doing the mitzvah, and also the larger policy point. Because if you people see, oh, look, I tried to get a non-Jew, even if in this case there was no trade-off, the message that gets sent is, is that this is, a, this is problematic, and you should find ways to get around it and to minimize it, and that's going to lead in the future to hesitation, to not doing it as well, and the message has to be no hesitation. So I yes. So that's an interesting call. question about the whole issue about pregnancy and labor and so on is because, you know, at what stage is it, you know, is it pikuach nefesh? At this stage, is it, you know, right now when you're starting to get contractions or whatever, is it already pikuach nefesh? You know, so um, I actually tell people there, so again, you know, you can say not being too... What I tell people is, I said, look, if I would tell you, you know, let's say you say, you know, as soon as, as, soon as she, my wife goes into labor, I'm going to jump into the car, whatever, I said, if I told you I'll give you a hundred bucks and I'll pay for a cab if you, put, if, if you do a cab, would you take me up on the offer? You would say, no, I want to be the one to drive her. So if you say, no, I want to be the one to drive her, then fine, you should drive her. But if you would take my hundred bucks and take my offer to pay, pay a cab for you, then you know what? How much, you know, then it's not really yet at that stage of, of urgency. But, you know, you could say I'm being too machmer on Shabbat, you know, but, as that, but that's in a case where there's a large, a long process before, it could be, you know, sometimes it happens before you're ready, but, you know, but it's not yet at that stage. I would not say such a thing if somebody manages in an accident. You know, I wouldn't for a second say, oh, figure out, would I be willing to hire a cab? And I might just, no. If somebody's in an accident, there's a real sort of thing right now, you just do immediately what needs to be done. Yes? How, how localized can the condition be, for example? Let's say someone's got, a, um, someone's got an infection on their hand. Right. It's, it's localized. Right. But you've got to keep on applying the antibiotic. Yeah. So I'm not going to get into all of the okay. parameters that's, about that's that. That's the question. Yeah, right? but clearly things that if you don't attend to them, there's an element of risk. Look, there's also a halacha, for example, that if it's only a sakanas aver and not a sakanas nefashot, right. we don't biblically violate Shabbat. Except in practice, what we wind up saying is anything that's a sakanas aver is essentially a sakanas nefashot. And we sort of make that whole category essentially move. But yes, yeah, that's the whole question of what you put in that category. Once something is it because never pre- childbirth is an interesting. It's like the Raman says that's kipikuach nefesh. You know, so exactly what stage of the childbirth we're talking about. But but a thing that's like a, a, an immediate, a, you know, sort of a, you know an emergency, then you don't do any of this hesitation. Partly because not just because you won't do it so well if you try to get a non-Jew, but partly because of the larger policy point that? that you have to be uh, other.
Lishonim, a lot say that, that you have to make it clear that you do it without hesitation. You seem to be taking a different approach with pregnancy. I was waiting to be attacked about me being, about being a very unfeminist male thing to be saying. The other, you know, what we're defining by the now is, in general, the person's health is at risk, you know, don't be so, you don't examine exactly the details and so on. But here you're taking a, a different approach. Well, again, I, the only question is the point about the, the difference between if the contractions have just... No, the question is at what stage. I'm not, you know, the question is, I'm not saying like as... A, I, I, don't, I, shouldn't, I don't want to be misinterpreted. I mean, my God, the very first example the Gemara had was the pregnant woman who needs to be fed or whatever. I just mean that at like the early stages of contractions... Is that already well, we're there you were not there yet? Yeah, that's I'm sorry if that wasn't clear. That's all I was saying. I was just saying that that it, that when people get ready to go to the hospital, sometimes it's just very early in on the process. Once it becomes more urgent, yeah, I'm not talking about that. Okay, we're talking about so earlier. Reason, on I don't really need to worry about them calling. What? Yeah, but yeah. You work, that's going to be, that'll be in two days from now. We'll talk about that. Okay, about non Jews. All right, moving on. Okay. Um, okay, the Enomim, or maybe that's even tomorrow. That's, I think that's tomorrow. That's tomorrow, the whole non Jew system. So it's good, it won't be recorded. All right, anyway. <laughs> all right. Um, all right, I have to. All right, well, I'll have to say, I'll have to therefore say, because it won't be recorded, so I'll say now for the record, a great, a great story, you know. Because the whole question is, according to the mission as we saw, if the building falls on somebody and you know it's a non actually we're going to get to it a little bit at the bottom of today's, well, we'll see if we'll get there in a few minutes. Anyway, if you know it's a non-Jew, you know, you're not Michal Shabbos, you know. But that then leads to, like, a question, is that really how we paskin, you know? So the Meiri says, no, is only talking about those, like, pagans, they were immoral, of course you're Michal Shabbos for the life of a non-Jew. That's the Meiri's opinion, which is the more sort of, you know, radical in the sense of changing the basic categories, one, you know, in terms of how the Gemara frames it, um, but one that obviously people are attracted to, you know, some people are very attracted to nowadays in terms of sort of the, you know, the basic sort of, um, you know, moral position that it lays out, where Moshe's approach is more to say that, well, you can always save the Michal Shabbos to save the life of a non-Jew because it's an indirect saving of the life of a Jew. Because if you don't, it exposes Jews to danger and to risk and so on. And sometimes, you know, that's also referred to in a different way as like, you know, because of Mishum Eva or Saint Arche Shalom, but in a way that's so much of a concern of risk of life, you know, it not only just makes them angry at us, but mom says an element of risk. So we do it really to save our lives, which gets you the same result, but it does it indirectly through without shifting the categories, which unfortunately has to have the negative side effect, which is that, um, you know, this like, that's the principle on which Hatzalah answers calls on Shabbat for, for non-Jews. Uh, but Rav Moshe made a very much clear point of saying, even if you think nobody is going to find out if you don't respond, nevertheless, there's always, an, there's always this concern, this Ava concern or whatever, and you always have so to I mean, respond. Yeah, basically, because eventually people will find out and the world will get around or whatnot. Exactly. Anyway, the point is, yes, but the point is that apparently there are one or two Hatzalas I've heard of, Baruch Hashem, not the one in Riverdale, that do make a bit of a cheshpin, like how much will it be known if they don't respond. What, there was a hotel they didn't respond yeah, to a years, call? Yeah, many years ago. Bring your ba- a Yosef Kineski was around. Wow. There's so, a guy in acting on the highway. Yeah. He told he wouldn't come. He called 911. Wow, wow. So it's a big issue that, you know, it's not exactly that Ramosha gets you to the same result because even though Ramosha tries to make to make it that every case counts this way, once that's the sort of rationale, there's a question about somebody making that type of a cheshpan. So there's a story anyway that, uh, that um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Professor Saul Lieberman was, uh, he was very close friends with this non-Jewish uh, philosopher who like, you know, was uh, very knowledgeable about Jewish stuff. I'm trying to remember who it was. Um, I'm not remembering the name of the guy. Anyway, so they were walking in the street once on Shabbat. So the guy said, and you know, with also some of the JTS students were there. So anyway, this uh, non-Jewish uh, colleague said, so if that building were to fall on me on Shabbat, would you, would, you know, would, would, you, would you violate Shabbat to save my life? So he said, yes, of course. So he said, said, would you do it because it's the halacha or would you do it because of darche shalom? Or, you know, so he said, no, I would do it because it's the halacha. So he was satisfied. He walked away. And then his students turned and said, what do you mean? What do you, what do you mean it's Allah? He says, nah, I told him that's for Darfei Shabbat. Anyway, all right. That, let's do a little bit more of the Gemara, all right? So, um, 
Okay. By Jewish adults. You don't do it. See here, Rivka, it's good you're back today. Don't say, do, do, do these things, not by women or Samaritans or non-Jews. They combine for another opinion. So what does that mean? So Raji says what it means is that if based on the opinion of a woman um, or a kuti or a nanja or whatever, this person is pikuach nefesh and other people don't say that, then you don't trust her opinion and judge the person as pikuach nefesh. But... Okay, wait, you mean you don't say you, all that? Mean don't mean you don't go... Do no. According to Rashi, do not go by a woman's professional medical opinion that it's pikuach nefesh. But if there's a debate... Two people say it is pikuach nefesh. Two people say it isn't, or one and two, or whatever it is. Then the woman could add and be a corroborating testimony. Now the problem is, number one is, first of all, based on the earlier Gemara, you didn't need numbers, right? As long as you had, you know, any one opinion or whatever, based on that one against two, two against many. Anyway, you didn't need numbers. Number one. Number two is, as the Rush says, he says. Why should we not trust a woman who knows medicine? Why should her... Right. Woman, why should her knowledge, medical knowledge, be any less trustworthy than a man's? So he gives... The rush. So he gives two alternative interpretations. One is the the exact opposite of what what Rashi says, which is don't discount what a woman says, but as long... You know, even if they are somehow going against the men doctors, if a woman says to speak Nefesh, you listen to her. It's a, it's, it's a hard read in the language of the Gemara, but that's what he tries to say. The alternative, he says, is, and this is, and this is, I think, the way it's more interpreted, which is, um, which is basically, don't, um, um, uh, one minute. Now, now I totally forgot what, what it was. Um, yeah, well, that's more or less what he said, although in a different way. But anyway, but hold on one second. I just want to tell you what he says. He says, um, hold on. Here. Oh, meaning like this. He says, don't say... Oh, let's get let's get a woman to do it. Let's get a woman to drive him to the hospital because this is sort of making a sociological point. Oh, you know, it's similar to the point before about get a non-Jew or a minor. Even though for a woman it would still be you know, adult Jewish woman still be chulish Shabbat, but people will think, oh yeah, so the men don't want to violate, so they're getting the women to do it, and that therefore leads to again feeling that this is something that is problematic and it's better for us men not to do. We'll find someone else to do it for us, and therefore don't have them do. You know, not that there's a problem with them doing it, but sociologically that will be read as a way of saying that it's not something that we really should be doing, so let's get some flunky to do it for us. Let's get the women to do it for us. Let's like just the men who won't use an arrow, but it's just as a woman. Exactly. Like the guy who will have his wife do the caring for him. Yeah, so he switches the girsa according to that instead of al pi, al yidei nashim. They're given girsa out. Let's read just a little bit more, okay? Well, we just want to get a little bit to the Sudan. Turn around. The Sakim Bikok Nevich Shabbat, the Azari Sarei Zemeshubach, is the one who is zealous, is, uh, you know, is praised. And the one who the the the, 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 the parallel of this in the Rishalmi is that the one who delays and is and postpones Hareza Shofeich Tamim is like a murderer. Okay, so that's a very heavy alternative. But again, don't hesitate. Okay, do what you need to. Yeah, yeah, do whatever you need to. Don't say, oh wait, let me ask my rabbi. Okay, hot case, God, what's the scenario? Rod Kino Kinafuliyam, if you saw an infant fall in the ocean, Parish Mitz Sudam Matlayu, you spread out a net and you lift him up. So, what does that double phrase mean? Oh, do it quickly and don't even wait to ask. The Avagav, so this, now the Gemara is commenting on the bright that you see the shift to Aramaic. The Avagav, it's like even if in the, in, the, in the process you're catching fish, don't they, oh, I got to do it in a way that I'm not catching fish. Forget, just do it. You see an infant from the well. You can you know, to dig out some dirt and bring to get into it and bring him up. Yeah, What does that language mean? Don't hesitate. Even if by your digging you're making steps and you're making the the pit, you know you're building it a better pit. Don't say, oh, let me figure out a way to do it. That's not going to do that. 
Russian, he now established between eighteen oak. Here's the idea of being locked in a room. And, uh, a child is locked in a room. Shavrom Mutsiova, raise him in Shabbat, break down the door. The answer, yeah, that the, you'll be scared to death and that'll, whatever. Do, again, it's a little, you know, yeah, the answer, if we told me Shushin Beis, and I mentioned that before. The Abagav, the Chamechavim, we meet by Bashisei. This is interesting. Even though as you're breaking the door, you're intending to get some, like, chips of wood. Oh, good, then I'll be able to, you know, use the wood chips after Shabbos for my firewood. So even though you're intending, it's not a problem because your intent doesn't stop your, doesn't change your action. Okay? You can put out a, sh- a fire on Shabbat and you can put like vessels that will be a wall against the fire, a fire wall, and you don't, and, and don't hesitate. So what's the don't hesitate phrase? Even though you're basically making like hot embers and maybe you'll want to use them for cooking on after Shabbat. The tricha, you need to tell me all cases. If it's the ocean, you tell me, okay, don't wait to ask a shayla, because by the time you ask your shayla, the baby is going to float away, or whatever. But the pit, that the guy isn't going anywhere, let me go ask my rabbi first. Aim tricha. No, doesn't matter, you don't wait, you don't hesitate. Yes, meaning bore, if you said the well, we should become nivis, because the guy is going to be scared at the bottom of a well. But if the guy is just behind a locked door, maybe go sit over at another side and play with like nuts. Maybe entertain himself. You know, how scared to death is he going to be in a room behind the door? Maybe it's not Pikoch Nefesh. So even that is Pikoch Nefesh, and you do not hesitate. You do it, you do it immediately without any hesitation. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Does anybody think Kaddish?